Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another fantastic edition of the Southern Fright Soccer Podcast. It is October 6th, and we are going to do a recap of Wednesday's 3-2 loss at Philadelphia and a preview of Saturday's MLS match against Columbus at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Kickoff will be 7.39 p.m., so don't tweet me asking what time the kickoff is. It'll be 7.39 p.m. We are going to be helped on this podcast by Gonzalo Pineda, Miles Robinson, former Atlanta United player Julian Gressel, now with the Columbus crew. Uh, we got together via Zoom yesterday, and you're going to hear about 11 minutes and 30-something seconds of him. So appreciate Columbus and, and Julian for doing that. Y'all have sent in a lot of really good questions that I'm going to answer, and we've got three voicemails. So that's picking up. That's always a good thing. I want to tell you all that next week you won't see much from me about Atlanta United because I'm going to be part of the team AJC covering the Braves in the National League Division Series. Remember... You can always subscribe to the AJC with subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and you'll get a 99-cent special. I would encourage you to do so, and I want to remind you, please, if this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So let's go over some quick data points about uh, both matches. The Philadelphia match 3-2, to two, there were a lot of egregious refereeing decisions, and you're going to hear about that from Pineda. But what turned the game is Philadelphia scored three goals in the final nine minutes of the first half. Atlanta United fought back and scored two goals in the second half, but it was just not enough time, and the lack of focus in those nine minutes really hurt Atlanta United. It's been a problem. If you remember, they gave up two goals in five minutes and ended up losing to Cincinnati. It's something that Miles Robinson talks about. You're going to hear from in a minute, but that's what did them in. Now, with that loss, Atlanta United does not control its path to secure a top four seed, which comes with home field advantage in the best of three opening round playoff series. It now must win its last two and then hope that some results go its way. The, the teams are very evenly matched, Atlanta United and Columbus. Columbus is in fourth. It's coached by Wilfred Nazi. Uh, 15-9-8 is its record. Atlanta United is 13-9-10. Columbus on the road is 4-8-4. Atlanta United is 10-3-3 at home. Columbus has scored 64 goals and allowed 44. Its expected goals are 52.8 and 39.6. Atlanta United's goals for and against are 63-50. and 50. Its expected goals for and against are are 45.7 and 41.6. So it's still, you know, they're outperforming on offense, their metrics, and they've gotten unlucky on defense. Um, But that's how the season goes. 
So let's get into the audio really quick. If you didn't, if you watched the game on Wednesday, you saw Alex Chilowitz, the referee, miss a handball in the first half in the penalty box that would have given Atlanta United a penalty kick. There was another one that Pineda said he missed early in the second half. He did get one later in the second half that Tiago Almada converted for a penalty kick to cut Philadelphia's lead to three to one. But afterward, he went on a pretty epic rant about Chilowitz and the professional referee organization. I want to talk to the pro referees here and ask them how we have to earn the respect of them to get the calls today. Should have been three PKs. It was called only one. Against us, against Montreal, a handball for Abraham that hits the left hand in here in the chest and after that a rebound comes to the uh, arm. It's called a PK. Today, the first PK from the first half before their three goals should have been called the PK. So. If Jim Corton talked before this game about the handballs and he talked about no one knows what is handballs anymore and then they get the calls and, and they get the advantage because of that against New England this year, Bruce Arena talks the game before our game against them in their house. They, uh, they, call about, uh, they talk about their handball that wasn't called. And then Brooks Lennon in the first half crosses from the primacy zones. It's a handball and it's not called a PK. Do I need to talk before the games every time about the referees not giving us the calls? What else do we need to do rather than trying to play good football, dominating the game, trying to create a lot of chances? What else we need to do to earn the respect? Because to me, it feels like tonight we were punished. The score, normal, should have been 4-3 because three penalties should have been called based on the standard of the league and how they call our handballs, should have been three PKs tonight, and we should should have won four, three. But if I need to talk to the referees about that, I need to do it. And because the, the, the channels that they put for us doesn't work anymore, I'm going to talk publicly about that. And if I need to, to say this every weekend before our games, I'm going to do it because we have to earn the respect. Today, Alex Chilowicz, I have a bad memory, so I don't have the right stats. But it feels like most of the times we get controversial calls from him against us. It might be a coincidence, but my record is that we lose more often with him than not. Last game I recall he, he uh, refereed for us, it was against Red Bulls at home. And it was a horrible tackle on Brad Hussan that should have been a red card, and he didn't do it. It was a horrible tackle in the knee of the goalkeeper, and it wasn't a red card. So it feels like it's always controversial, and normally the calls of Alex are against us. What else we need to do to earn the respect? That's in response to your question, uh, Doug. And then I wanted to give him a chance to offer suggestions on how to improve the officiating, and this is what he said. I'm out of suggestions because uh, we've been... Uh, I've been saying this multiple times in person to the fourth official about the calls and I don't get the right response. Actually, many times the fourth official say they agree with me and they know these calls should have been for us, these calls should have been for the others. Um, but that and, happened tonight? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it happened. But... Well, uh, kicks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they know. They know. I mean, it's very obvious. It's very obvious, especially the first one. I mean, it's very, very obvious the type of penalty was. And again, probably the solution I see is if Jim Corton talks about uh, handballs before the game, Bruce Arena talks about handballs before the game, I'm going to do it every game. So then maybe I get the calls and the opponent doesn't. 
Uh, typically, when refer- when coaches criticize referees, depending upon the level and the nature of the accusation, they are fined. It can take two to three days sometimes before you hear. But I did want to follow up with Pineda today to ask if he had been fined. No, no, not yet. Uh, I haven't seen my email in for a couple days, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Do you anticipate being fined? No, I don't think so. I mean, I didn't insult anyone or anything. I just expressed my opinions on the refereeing, and, and I think that's allowed unless they tell me different. Okay. And here's Pereira talking a little bit more about some blown calls over the years. Yeah, I'm surprised about many things about refereeing. <laughs> I, I mean, there are there are many little things like that that is being against us, but those are little things to me. You know, right. big things like this PK, like the PK against Miami two years ago, uh, last year in their house, like a PK on, on Brooks Lennon. That was a PK. The disallowed goal on, on, on Santi Sosa, the day he scored a goal, I remember Columbus or Nashville, he scored a fantastic goal. And then he scored a second one from a corner and they call a foul when I don't think he even touched the opponent. And and those those big things, those those are issues. The handball from, uh, you know, the other day, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just many things that are big that have, have happened in at least five or six games this year, last year the same. But those little things, like if he was about to paint and not, we have to be better than that. Those little things, like the yellow card for, for uh, Brooks Lennon, uh, that, that was right. taken back, Resident. right? Yep. Because of the PK. You watch the replay, and it was Carranza twisting his ankle on his own. He twisted his ankle, he kicked the, the floor, and then they gave us a yellow card from an unexistent foul. If that is the fourth yellow or the fifth yellow for Brooks Lennon, we lose him for playoffs or for important games. For a mistake from referee, those are little things. Big things are goals. Big things are penalties that are not given. Um, so if if Alex was about to paint the, the line and, and we were not paying, that's on us. That's that's those are those little things we have to walk through and to to be better than that. And, and that's again putting the attention on, on our process, who's on top of the ball, who has to make sure that the referee paints the line and, you know, we're paying attention, not just those three, but the guys in behind setting the, the, the line of confrontation for the wide free kick, where they looking at the ball, where they look at the runners. So those are the processes that, that we have to pay attention, and, and we did. We, we, we look at that. And then here's Pineda looking forward to Saturday's match. It's the same. It's, uh, of course, it's, it's out of our control now. Now, you know, we need other results to to have the ability to finish on top four, but we're going to fight till the end. We're going to try at, as much as we can to, to finish on top four. Um, and there are good games. I think uh, if we put the attention in what is coming and not what happened um, in the past, like we have to look, we're looking forward to Columbus. He's one of the best teams in the league, in my opinion, one of the teams that play better football in the league. Um, and we have a lot of respect for, for, for their coach and, and for what he has done with that team. Their game model is very, very good. In some ways, we're similar, some mm-hmm. tendencies that we both have, uh, but uh, they've been very, very consistent in that. So uh, it's a tough game, and for us, it's, it's, a great, it's, it's great to face those type of matches where, where you're facing good opponents, and, and that's intrinsic motivation you should have as a footballer. It really, is, it really should be a fantastic match. Both teams love to have the ball. 
Both teams like to attack. They're, they're vertical attacking teams. They're very aggressive. Columbus may be a little more fluid with its formation than Atlanta United uh, by the nature of some of the players it has. But it should be a high-scoring game. It should be a whole lot of fun. Um, I don't know if you're going to be at the Braves game, if you're going to come to Atlanta United, but it should be a, a, a very interesting tactical battle. And here's Pineda talking about the fight that the team has. Yes, our team don't quit. That's what I take. I think our team is not easy, honestly, against a team like uh, like Philadelphia. That are is a team that is very strong mentally. That they score the first one, they go immediately for the second one. They like to punch you in the face when you are when you are down on the floor. They, they like to to put a couple more punches in the face, and 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 they feel like that. They are very good at that. But we stand up and we continue the fight. And we're able to put a couple punches in their face as well. So uh, I like that reaction from the team. That even when we were not having the best period of time in the last part of the first half. We came back strong. We saw the reaction. We saw the intentions. We were very close, in my opinion, to, to equalize the game. Um, and and I take that because at times in playoffs it's like that. It's when the adversity comes, it's how you stand up and fight and, and are ready for the next round. And, and that's, that's the mentality of the team that I like. So uh, we need more. We need full concentration. We need not to lose the control of the games. To be successful, to be champions, we need to be more consistent throughout the games. But I like that part. That reaction was pretty good to see. Miles Robinson spoke to us today. He has recently been called into the U.S. men's national team camp for its friendlies against Mexico and Ghana. The U.S. has an interesting history with Mexico and Ghana in national team games, if you don't know. But here's Miles talking about the bad stretch of three goals in nine minutes at Philadelphia. Yeah, it was a lack of, I think, focus for that first goal. Um, we got to be more aware um, defensively in our reactions to the, you know, the foul. And then they got a few lucky bounces and then that one goes in. And I think Philly is a team that scores in bunches and uh, we weren't prepared um, for that. After that, the last or the next five minutes after they scored the first goal was kind of, uh, again, you know, a lack of focus uh, collectively, but it's something, you know, we can grow on. I think everyone understands we have a good team. It's just a matter of, you know, small moments that can cost the game. And then I wanted to follow up with him on how do you keep the focus going against Columbus? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's great that we play at home. Um, obviously, when we play at home, we're a different team almost. Uh, we're so lively. We're so aggressive. Um, we're so up for the game and the battle. And it's going to be a battle uh, tactively. tactively. Um, but it should be a, a good good game. Um, I think we're all excited. Jason asked Miles about the if there's a challenge in dealing with the two Columbus forwards because they're very different. Um, I think every you know team provides different challenges, but um, they're good with their movements. Um, but Columbus is a team that likes the ball, so it's about a, if, uh, if we have the ball, um, we're going to limit their chances. And um, as long as they um, or we stay, you know focused and in tune with all their small movements and runs behind the back line in the final third, but we should be uh, good. And here's Miles talking about uh, U.S. Men's National Team camp. Uh, no, I think uh, Greg's made it clear for us that we just have to continue to grow to grow as a um, team. Um, there's obviously some great opponents that we play in Germany and Ghana, so it's just about you know continuing to uh, – you know, learn and play together and learn from one another and things like that. It should be a good camp. And lastly, again, here's Julian Gressel, now with Columbus. You'll all remember that he was traded from Atlanta to D.C. He went from D.C. to Vancouver. He wanted to get back on the East Coast, so he came back to Columbus. 
He left Atlanta United with 15 goals, remains the franchise leader with 35 assists. And here's Julian. All right, we've got a special guest on today's podcast. Many of you know him. Many of you love him. Many of you wish he were still with Atlanta United. It's Julian Gressel of the Columbus Crew, who are going to face Atlanta United on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Julian is kind enough to call in here on Thursday afternoon to talk to us and, and answer a few questions. Julian, how are you doing? Good, Doug. How are you, man? I'm good. It's been a long time. I know it has been. Yeah, I'm excited to be back soon and uh, yeah, get to get the feeling of uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I think the first and most important question that I have for you, and I need you to be truthful about this, is how much money have you taken off Parkhurst on the golf course so far? <laughs> um, well, Parky lives about 10 minutes from my house, but we have yet to play golf. So um, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind for us over the last <laughs> month and a half or so trying to get settled here. So um, as kind of fall rolls around a bit more, I think we're going to try and get out at some point. If not this year, then definitely. Um, I think he's ducking in the future. you. I think he's ducking you is, is uh, what I think is going on. He might. He might, but he also knows that I haven't played a lot. Um, obviously, <laughs> lots been lots been going on for us, so right. um, he has been playing quite a bit. I hear so it's been uh, yeah, it's been good for him. Yeah, yeah. He told me that uh, you moved in kind of down the street from him, so that's why I brought up the golf. So let, let's talk about Saturday's yeah. match, though. It's a huge, huge match for both teams. Columbus is trying to secure a top four spot so it can get home field advantage. Atlanta United is in sixth place after last night's loss. It's trying to get home field advantage. How do you see Saturday's game? How do you see the teams matching up? Because they're both pretty exciting attacking squads. Yeah, it'll be. I think it'll be an exciting match, uh, exciting game. Um, obviously, lots at stake in a sense where home field advantage can be quite crucial throughout the playoffs, as we've experienced in the past in Atlanta. So um, it's certainly a game. You know, we look forward to here to go there and try and solidify a top four spot without having to worry about it in the last last game of the season um but yeah it'll be it'll be fun it'll be a good game it'll be a kind of a preview of i think what the playoffs will bring and and those are exciting games to be part of and and kind of just feel the energy uh from the fans and kind of yeah just um have a go at it uh in atlanta again for those new to atlanta united gressel was on the team from 2017 through 2019 he was a draft pick out of Providence, um, he has 15 goals and is still the team leader with 35 assists for the five strikes. Uh, Tiago Almada is getting close, but I don't know if he'll break that record uh, before he likely transfers out into, winter, into the winter window. Julian was sent to, or traded to D.C., then he went to Vancouver, and then he got to come back toward the East Coast to join Columbus this season, where it looks to me like you've slotted in pretty seamlessly. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it's a system that um, I'm used to, you know, so, and quite similar to how we played in Atlanta, actually, with a, with a three, you know, three, two, you know, kind of three in the back and then kind of, you know, just attacking players um, where I'm, I'm playing on the right side of the wing back mostly. And, um, you know, it's been it's been a good transition for me. It's been, been fun to kind of come in and um, be a part of an attacking minded team, a team that goes for it every time. And, um, you know, it's the way I like to play. It's the way I like to play in Atlanta as well. And, um, you know, it's been it's been a good transition for me for sure, like you said. Yeah, I was going to say that watching Columbus under under Nazi and, and now watching Atlanta United since it's added its 
transfers in the summer window, both teams remind me of those Atlanta United teams in 17 and 18, just aggressive attacking, uh, can play horizontal, but is very good going vertical as well. It, it seems like it's going to be a pretty high-scoring match on Saturday. Yeah, that's that's the way I think it sets up. Um, you know, and that's uh, I know the fans in Atlanta like it that way too. So um, it'll be exciting. It's it's good attacking-minded teams that, that like to score goals, that like to go for it, like you said. And um, you know, what more what more can you want out of a matchup um, this close to the playoffs and and kind of with within the last couple of games here of the season um, to fight for you know spots that uh, will give you home field advantage in the playoffs. Uh, Really, no team has really anything to lose if you think about it. We're, we're already in the playoffs, and um, you know you, you kind of just try and fine tune things and, and have different things um, that you need need to figure out about yourself that you need to work on before the playoffs happen. So um, I think it sets up to be really exciting. It sets up to be a really high scoring game, and I'm saying this now, and I'm hoping it, it will be that. You know, it will be <laughs> exciting. It will be back and forth with a lot of chances and then all that type of stuff where. You know, obviously, I'm hoping that we will we will come out on top at the end and score one more than than Atlanta will. But um, yeah, it should be it should be a good one to watch. Julian, since he left Atlanta, has become a, a father twice, and I was curious if that's how has that changed you, if at all, as a player being a dad. Who as a player? I'm not sure. Definitely as a person, and definitely you know, it, it puts everything a little bit more in perspective. Um, I think you, as a player, it, I don't know. It's, it, I guess as, as you get older, you get more experience and you have more, uh, your, your weight of playing just changes. Um, you, you get to know more about yourself. You get to, you have more experiences on the field that you learn from, that you draw from, that you can rely on in difficult moments and good moments. So, um, now I'm more of a, a, a vocal player that, you know, um, sees, sees the young guys to try and take them on as, as under their wing a little bit, like guys did in Atlanta for me, like Michael Parker that we just talked about, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you become more of the players that when I was in Atlanta were there for me to help me and further my career. And I think that more so than, you know, becoming a father at home is, is totally different than, than what happens on the field. But, um, I've certainly, um, grown up even more and then matured even more. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a great, great for years and being a father is the best uh, off the field as well coming home to some of two daughters now is, is an incredible feeling every day to see them smile and and uh yeah get to spend time with them is always always amazing yeah being a girl dad is great it's, it's a fantastic yeah, thing that's right um is there anything about the city of atlanta that you miss uh a lot i mean we enjoyed our time a lot in atlanta i think atlanta has been has you know, obviously kickstarted my career. It also kickstarted my relationship with my wife, really, where mm. it was the first city where we lived together. And, and then we got married um, a few years later after MLS Cup, after we won MLS Cup. And um, I think the life we had there was so different than the life we had right now, or we have right now, because um, we didn't have any kids. You know, it was just us two, and we enjoyed the city so much. We enjoyed being outside and uh, going out for dinners more and all those types of things. And um, now it just changes to more suburban life and then a single family home where in Atlanta was different. So we, we definitely miss it. It was, it was a lot, a lot of fun and we enjoyed, uh, every, every moment of it, every moment that we had there. And um, I'm excited to be back. Um, you know, staying right where, uh, in Midtown at a hotel right near where we actually live. So I get to go to some coffee shops that, 
that I used to go to and all those things. So um, it'll be cool to be back and, um, yeah, just, you know, experience, feel the city again after a few years and then also, um, yeah, see the fans and kind of just step on the field and with a, with a lot of good memories in the back of my head um, that, I've, that I've built or that I've experienced uh, in that stadium. One of my favorite, I've, I've had the privilege once of, of meeting you and your wife out in public. Uh, do you remember that at the Trader Joe's on Monroe Drive that morning? <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> but what still makes me laugh about this story is Julian standing there rocking his New England Patriots toboggan. And uh, my then wife and I were standing there and I introduced them. And then Julian's wife comes walking up and Julian it says, this is Doug. And she has no idea who I am. And we're both standing there trying to figure out how do we explain who I am to her. And then I think we both just kind of smiled and nodded politely and said goodbye and went our separate ways because neither one of us could figure out how to how to describe who yeah. I was and why I knew you. It was funny because it was funny because now when I brought up that you wanted to jump on an interview with me, you wanted to have a call. She was like, "Oh yeah, I remember Doug." So now she remembers you. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> that that's too funny. But this is one of those self-deprecating things that I still laugh about. If I'm ever taking myself too seriously, I always think, think of that little anecdote and and get a chuckle. Um, so yeah. you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you you you're out of contract at the end of the season. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you want to stay in Columbus, but I don't know. Do you know what the future holds for you yet? Um, as of right now, no. I mean, if, if I did, I would have already had a contract. You know, I, I think it's still, um, obviously, we're still trying to get settled here and trying to get in here and, and have conversations with the club. I think that was the understanding of, mm-hmm. of with the trade, obviously, contract negotiations. So um, we'll just kind of, yeah, see how the next few months play out. We're, you know, like I said, we're so far, we like it here. Um, it's been a good transition for us. It's been a good city. Um, you know, the people here have been great. The, the soccer has been great. So, um, certainly excited to be here at the moment. And, but again, you know, there's, um, nothing's for sure. Uh, you know, in this business, you never know what's coming in the future. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll just see what, what the next few months hold in that sense and in that regard. I only bring it up because I know there's many Atlanta United supporters that would love to see you in the red and black again. <laughs> they, they put it on my Twitter I appreciate, I appreciate every all. Day. <laughs> yeah, uh, I appreciate all the support and then all the love I still get from fans. It's it's something that I cherish and that I I I know I don't take for granted, and that's why I'm really excited to be back and um yeah get to play there again and get to feel that atmosphere again and get to experience that uh, maybe a little bit of love at times, maybe before and after the game. I know not doing because they're cheering on Atlanta United and not me, but um yeah, it's it's something that you know I value deeply, and then I'm always. Always reminded of um, the lot of good times that we had in Atlanta, and it's been uh, it a special place for me. It still is a special place. All this support means means the world, obviously. I think that's a, a perfect place to end this segment of the podcast. Um, do you, is there anything that you want to promote? Anything you want to talk about really quickly? Not really. I'm just excited to be back. Thanks for reaching out, and thanks for doing this with me. I know uh, you don't probably do this a lot with opposing players, so. Um, this has been been exciting. Yeah, good opportunity again for me to kind of connect with Atlanta United fans, like I always love to do. And um, again, excited to see everyone Saturday. And uh, yeah, 
obviously, hopefully it's not going the right way for Atlanta United. But <laughs> um, again, I'll, I'll see you there maybe too. And uh, thanks for reaching out, Doug. I hope so, Julian. Thank you, man. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want to remind you all again, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our Braves coverage, our UGA coverage, our Atlanta United coverage, our Georgia Tech coverage, our Hawks coverage, our Falcons coverage, our political coverage, our breaking news, our investigations. I'm out of breath. We've got so much coverage. Plus, you get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. We're going to dive into the mailbag, 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. I want y'all to fill it up because Cody's on the board. He's going to be one of the army of AJCers joining us in Philadelphia next week. And I do not want him to be able to go out and enjoy himself. I want him to have to transcribe 10,000 voicemails about Atlanta United. 404-526-2527. I'm going to take a sip of coffee while we listen to Mark from Rome. Yeah, earlier in the season, there seemed to be a bunch of whispers about Almada moving on in the summer and, and Robinson sitting on a contract extension in favor of alternatives. What do you think the chances of Almada starting next season with Atlanta are? And uh, secondarily, do you see Robinson going to another league or do you think he'll stay here at uh, MLS? Uh, thanks. Appreciate it, Mark. Uh, I think whispers is is kind of downplaying, and I think they were shouts. I think we all thought Almada was going to get sold in the summer window. Now the next window is the winter window in January, and it's it's a little weird because there's still not any bona fide reports of of negotiations of discussions. You get things like man you and liverpool are possible destinations well okay i don't even know what that means but every player would love to play for man you or liverpool napoli is a possible destination but there's never anything verifiable in terms of agent has reached out to atlanta united atlanta united has received a a request to negotiate with tiago nothing like that so i still think he could be sold in the winter window but it's just weird to me that if that were to happen, we haven't seen anything really concrete yet. As for Miles, he's gone. Uh, the only way he doesn't return, or the only way he returns to Atlanta United, is if the contracts he receives from other clubs, whether in MLS or in other leagues, don't match up to the Max Tam deal, which is almost $1.7 that Atlanta United has offered Miles. It's um, 
It just seems like he wants a new challenge, and that's that's understandable. Understandable players. Sometimes they need something new and personality. Sometimes we all as people need something new, and that could be the case for Miles. He's played well for Atlanta United. He's been a defensive player of the year candidate. He's he's worked his way into the U.S. men's national team rotation as a center back. He should have been in the World Cup in Qatar, except for that Achilles injury, sideline that. So we're just going to have to see what happens um, with other contract offers he may receive. He told me today, I asked him point blank, have you signed a pre-contract with another team? Because he is now allowed to do that. He is within the six-month window, and he said he is not. He's just writing it out. All right, another coffee sip while Brett from Inman Park entertains us. If you could do one thing to improve officiating in MLS, what would it be? I haven't seen you walking around Midtown in a while, Brett, but I hope you are doing well, my friend. Uh, one thing to change officiating. Uh, it would be nice if the VAR could be – I'll send out several things. It would be nice if the reviews could be quicker. It would be nice if the offsides decisions – wouldn't wait, and they would just go ahead and raise the flag. It would save a few seconds every game. Um, but the rules have to be written in a way that they are easy enough for everyone, from referees on down to understand. And right now, particularly the handball rule, it's just it's too – it relies too much on interpretation. It, it almost needs to be if the ball hits the hand, no matter what happens before, it's a handball. Uh, but – it's just, I don't know. It's crazy. And it's also crazy to me that you can get a, a handball or trip by a goalkeeper when you have no chance of getting the ball when you're about to cross over the touchline and somehow you get a penalty kick. So you go from a, a goal-scoring chance of like .008 to like .3 uh, it, or .7, whatever it is for penalty kicks. So if I could change one thing about the field, it might be, or the rules, it might be to – change how penalty kicks are decided uh, based upon the nature of fouls. All right, one more coffee sip as Josh from Roswell talks to us. Hey, uh, good game last night for United. Giving up those goals really back-to-back-to-back really killed us. So quick question for next year. Do you think we'll be able to flip Etienne and Barry um, and get, you know, we'll be able to get rid of them and get some value uh, for them and, and kind of replace them? And then with the World Cup being announced, Spain... Morocco, Portugal, mostly. Um, any insight on Atlanta getting a semifinal or quarterfinal or any insight on what kind of games we might get in 2026 in NBS? Thanks. Thank you, Josh. So I think Barry is out of contract at the end of the season. Um, so he will likely be gone. Etienne is a weird one. Uh, he's got a big contract. For Atlanta United to eat it, that's a. It's going to be. I think it's a three-year deal, so it's going to be more than a million dollars in cash. They could always agree to the mutual termination to allow Etienne a chance to actually go somewhere and play because I don't think he's going to play at Atlanta United with Lopetegui on the one wing and Silva, who I assume loan is going to get picked up on the other, and some homegrowns coming through. It's weird that it hasn't worked for Etienne. Um, but I, I would almost think that Atlanta is going to try to to trade him, maybe with some GAM if they can, to another team, if GAM is even still a thing, or allocation money is even still a thing next year. Um, but they just don't seem to – Etienne just doesn't seem to have a spot with Atlanta United anymore. He made the Philadelphia roster, came to roster and played, but that was mostly because Tyler Wolf had suffered a hip injury and wasn't able to travel. Uh, the theory is, the thinking is that 
Mercedes-Benz Stadium, we'll get group stage games because it is the expanded World Cup, and we'll get semifinals, but nothing has been announced or decided yet. That's just that's the thinking. And then you've also got the Copa America coming up, and we'll see if Atlanta is going to be a part of that because that would be a fantastic tournament and another good run-up for the city to prepare for hosting parts of the World Cup. On to the traditional questions now. And you can always email me at droberson at ajc.com or follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Pat wants to vent a little bit about Wednesday night. Really frustrating, Doug, and it goes back to the concern I had of the DC match of who is the player to recenter the team when the wheels are coming off. Yep. This, I agree with you, Pat. This has been a problem for a couple of years for this team. Almada seems to press too hard in these situations, and it seems Miyumba is in that mode as well. This has to be rectified and worked on going forward. The first goal was chintzy given the restart and got us out of sorts. The second snuck through a Brahms five hole, but the third was fully preventable if we tracked the runs. I don't care if Lennon, Wiley, and Guzan pass the ball back and forth for a few minutes. We just need to settle things and establish our possessing game is most likely to happen in our half. I would appreciate your thoughts and who you would tag on the field to get us back on track. Yeah, the team hasn't had, and, and this has been for several years now, a field player, Brad Guzan is a leader, but it's tough when he's in the goal, a field player who is willing to yell at teammates, you know, let's get focused or get them focused or point around as to where people need to go. You see Tiago do some of that on offense, but you don't see him do it a lot on defense. He could be that guy. He has all the respect of all the players. Obviously, he's a world-class player. He's once again called into Argentina's team for its upcoming World Cup qualifying matches. Um, it's it's something that the, the team needs. There's a lot of guys on the team. Brooks Linden wants to be that guy. Um, I don't know if he's taken that step yet on the field. We can't hear what they're saying. We can only see. But he wants to be that guy. He sees himself as captain material. So perhaps he could be the guy. On to Michael. He says, I watch a lot of soccer and have for a long time. I no longer have any idea what does and does not constitute a handball. The type of puzzling decision we saw Wednesday night happens every weekend all over the world. Please help me understand. That's because they've tried, they've nuanced the rule, and sometimes they've made it so nuanced that it's hard to figure it out. Jim Curtin uh, was quoted as saying, there's too many lawyery words now in how you have to decide what a handball is with objective and intent and all these things. It would almost be simple just to say, if the ball hits the hand, it's a handball. Bad luck. Hate it for you, but it's a handball. Um, the one, the first one on Wednesday, I have watched this thing. I don't know how many times I have slowed it down to about as slow as it could possibly go, rubbed it back and forth. I still think that it went off the Philadelphia player before it hit his hand, which would negate it being a handball according to the rules. Now, having said that, I need to also fully admit that Chilowitz after the game didn't even use that as a reason why he didn't call it a handball. He said that he thought the Philadelphia player's hand was making a natural motion, which is also part of interpreting the handball rule. There's no way that motion was a, a natural motion. He saw the ball going past him and reached out a little bit with his right hand, and the ball hit him on the right wrist. Should have been a handball, but whatever. On to Williams, who I think is a first-time question asker. He was at the game last in Philly. Yay for you. And Pineda is right. The officiating was terrible. William says, I think his outburst was because he knows he got outcoached again. I, okay. 
uh, ATL was slow and everything and allowed Philadelphia to recover and pressure the ball when the team should have been running a tired team into the ground. Blaming the refs is like the old Irish saying, it is a poor craftsman who blames his tools. I don't know if he got out coached. The Philadelphia field isn't great. Um, it's uneven. It's hard to pass on. I never like to hear a coach talk about, well, you know, we have our style and it can be hard playing it on this field. Well, my response to that is, well, then you got to change your freaking style. You got to do something different because if your style is dependent upon all these factors, then you, you need to change, think about changing your style or tweaking your style. So I don't know if he got out coached. Um, you know, they, the team lost its focus on that first goal and then it just kind of imploded for a couple of minutes. It did fight back. It should be given credit for that. It got two goals. It could have had a third, but it didn't. Andre Blake did a good go, a good job. It kind of reminds me going back to the field thing and our style. Y'all know that I'm not a fan of Michael Bradley and haven't been a fan of his playing style long before the U.S. failed to qualify for the World Cup. And I would argue with people on social media before I learned that that's a dumb thing to do. Because people would say, oh, Michael Bradley needs this type of player and this type of player and this type of player and this type of player beside him. And I finally got to the point where if one player needs that many specific skills around him, then maybe he lacks the skills to be that player in that position. Um, and anyway, that's my thought on that. Another Michael, friend of the podcast, says, I hope your Philly trip was safe. It was. Great story this morning. Thank you. He agrees with Pineda that the refs' calls were suspect. Yes, suspect. I don't know if that's what cost the team the points, though. What did it look like in the stadium, the refs' calls? My question, okay, the, answering your first one. The handball, from where we were in the corner and our angle, I couldn't tell that it hit his hand. I saw players raising, a couple of players raising their hands that they thought that it hit uh, Harriel's arm, but from our angle, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. The second one that Pineda said was missed was down on the other end of the field through a maze of players. I couldn't see that one either. I did see the Campania one. That was definitely a handball. On Philadelphia's first goal, Brooks Lennon and Tiago are talking to Chilowitz. He is taking, he's reaching around behind him to get the spray out, to spray the ball and to go spray the wall when Philadelphia's Jack McGlynn just walks up and kicks the ball. Now, there are two things wrong with this scenario. First off, Atlanta's got to stand in front of the ball so that it can't be kicked. Second, just because you have teammates talking to the ref doesn't mean you can't be aware. But third, Chilowitz should have brought the ball back because he obviously wasn't even ready for the free kick. It was a, a comedy of errors. Michael continues, my question today is, where is Parata? I don't think he's been in a match since he missed that penalty kick. And more specifically, do you think he's a, a he'd be a better asset on the field than the players who were on the field last night? Thanks and enjoy your coffee. So here's the deal. After I take a coffee sip. Parada's loan is going to inspire. The team bought Abram. They want to see what Abram could do. Abram needed to run out, and he got to run out, and he's played mostly well. You can't blame him for the ball going between his legs on that goal. They're going to play Robinson because Robinson has been with the team forever. They're only playing two center backs. Parada is the guy out. That's just that's the math of it. I like Prada. I think he's a decent player, um, but that's why he's not playing right now. Adam with a long one. Well, Skittles. I'd hope for an upset, but it wasn't in the cards. More so than the lost, Adam says, my biggest lament was how poorly some players performed tonight. Knowing the team had extra time to rest and prepare, it was disconcerting to see Almada, Mayumba, and Abram all have off nights. Errant passes, lax marking, and more than a few moments of frustrated expressions. 
Philadelphia could do that to you. The fight back in the second half deserves applause, especially as much of it came from bench players. But once again, Atlanta proved too susceptible to defensive lapses. So how much of the poor first half was Philly's play versus Atlanta's strategy versus guys just not clicking? I think having that week off hurt Atlanta United. I don't think any of the players looked particularly great in the first half. Uh, Yurgos' first touch was awful. Tiago was forcing passes. Miyamba had some bad touches. Nobody really stood out as having a good first half. And I think that was a result of the week off combined with a poor field, combined with this is what Philly does. It, it They play that diamond midfield or condensed midfield. They'll play physical. They, they try to get in your head, and they did in the first half. He continues, again, realizing Philadelphia is a good side, Atlanta showed really poor team defending through much of the match especially in not maintaining two lines when defending or in tracking runners on goal. How much do you feel this breakdown is due to the midfielders versus the defenders, or is it something else? I think it's just, it's a function of, again, having that week off and Philadelphia being well-coached and knowing its system. It found pockets of space between the midfield and the center backs, and they exploited that several times. It's, it's It was good coaching by Philadelphia and maybe a lack of awareness at times by Atlanta United. As he attempts to soothe his sorrows, he asks, when there's no ice cream to be had, what's your next go-to dessert? Well, I like chocolate of any kind. Loves me some chocolate. So even a little Hershey's candy bar will make me happy. Eric with a K, old friend of mine. Do you think Atlanta United's misfortunes on natural surfaces versus turf are psychological at this point? Or is their style so finesse-oriented they need a pristine service to effectively execute their game. Huh. I haven't thought about that too often. I don't know. I mean, DC's field is awful. Philadelphia's field isn't great because it has lacrosse being played on it. I'm trying to think of other grass fields that it lying down it has played on. Dallas is grass, and they got a draw there recently. Montreal is grass, and they won there. Seattle is turf. I don't know. I'll think about that for a bit, Eric. DeBoonful says Apple streaming had issues for the first 35 minutes on Wednesday. Then it was 3-0 in no time. So I hit the eject button to keep from losing my Miggy versus PSG buzz. It's unfair to Miggy, he says. He continues, I formally rescind my statement that time off is good for our team. All right. Ben and Sherry ask, what did you say Saba looked like? A daffodil? It made me laugh out loud on my run this morning. I said a dandelion because that's what he looks like. Big poofy white hair from a distance. He looks like a dandelion running around. Nerdy Redneck, that's his Twitter handle, says, I know you're going to have many questions about VAR, PRO, and the bad calls that have been happening to Atlanta United. But my question is, do you think PRO should hold higher standards and possible fines or suspensions for egregiously bad calls like the no handball call? So... We are going to get into that in just a second, Nerdy, uh, because it's part of our question of the week. But I think it's an excellent question, and I thank you for asking it, and I am going to answer it just in a minute. On to Chance, who says, I'm happy to see Atlanta fight until the end, and to give Philly credit, they pulled out some magic to go ahead. Philly is a hard place to get a result, but man, did United get close. Outside of Miyumba's golden chance, what do you think made it so difficult for our recently well-connected attackers to getting scoring positions, and what drastically changed that in the second half? Yeah, also Silva did not have a good game. Uh, he he was very, very quiet compared to his previous matches. Um, 
Uh, Philly's just a good team. This is what they do to a lot of people. They, they develop talent well. They sign talent well. They're coached well. They've had the same coach for many, many years now. They know the system. The, the players are well-drilled. So even if they're tired, even if they're having an off night, they still do enough to not lose until they can win. And that's what happened on Wednesday. What changed in the second half? I think maybe Philly's tired legs did eventually catch up, and Atlanta's faster legs, they put some more players in, were able to take some advantage of what was going on. Um, you can be as well-drilled as well-coached as you want to, but eventually fatigue is fatigue. And three games in eight days for Philadelphia, that got them. Nick says, now that Atlanta United is guaranteed to finish seventh or higher, is the season already successful, or what else needs to happen for it to be considered successful? No, they wanted to finish fourth. That would be a success. Finishing seventh is, I would think, average, because they don't get the home field advantage in the playoffs, so that next match in the first round is just going to depend upon who they play. So, no, I wouldn't call it a success uh, if as a season. Have there been successful moments and successful signings that they can build upon next year? Yes, there have. So if they keep Silva, that's a starter. Mayumba's a starter. Yurgos is a starter. Saba's a starter. Tata Wolf is playing well. Good depth piece. Uh, we'll see what happens with Johnny stepping into the Huzetu central midfield spot because Huzetu's contract is up. A lot of good pieces to build around. Noah Cobb, uh, homegrown with a lot of potential at center back. Sean says, do you think a reason for the weird best of three is to try to get gate revenue for each playoff team? Yes. That is the only reason that playoffs exist is to try to get more gate revenue because greed is a disease. And he continues, who do you think will come out of the West? Well, as much as I don't want to see LAFC come out of the West, they are probably the most talented team. Salt Lake is a tough out. Seattle has kind of silently crept its way up to second. St. Louis has already clinched number one in the West, but without playoff experience, it's going to be hard for me to want to believe in them. So I'm going to say LAFC and appreciate the question, Sean. On to Matt. This is a different type of question. How are players selected for the U.S. men's national team? I've heard Brooks talk about his desire to make the cut for the team. You have, and I wrote a really long story about it last week. How would this happen for him? Is every game a player performs in essentially a possible tryout for a national team spot? And it's the job of the coach, selection committee, or a cabal of decision makers to scan the entire field of American players and choose. It's just something I'd like to know more about. And of course, I want to see Brooks get there. Anyway, thanks for your continued podcast production. I always look forward to the episodes. Well, thanks, Matt. So yeah, uh, every game is a chance to be considered as a tryout. You need to string together many, many, for the most part, consistently good performances. There are a couple of players on the U.S. that keep getting called up, even though they aren't playing. Gio Reyna is one. He's a player I just don't understand uh, what the fascination is. Brendan Aronson is another who I just don't understand what the fascination is. But, you know, then there's also the bonus of, well, if you're playing average on a team in Europe, you might get called up because Europe is considered tougher competition. And as for who makes the call, Greg Berhalter is the coach. He makes the final call. But it's done with a series of of Berhalter, his assistants, the scouts, analyzing the player pool, analyzing the upcoming opponents, and trying to figure out how to best either defeat those opponents, if it's a serious game or if it's a friendly, figure out how to work on some things with certain personnel so they can be better prepared when they next face a tournament-style 
game. It's a, it's a job that, like, if you're the coach of the Brazil national team, you are, what, four or five deep at every position. So you're not going to get them right all the time, but you're going to look good most of the time. Germany, three, four deep at every position. France, three, four deep at every position. England, probably two to three deep at every position. The U.S. is not that deep. The U.S. is one deep maybe two deep and I'm talking about world-class players, not just players, players one deep, maybe two deep. You can argue a couple of spots, three deep, but to be a, a world-class world cup winning team, you've got to be three, four deep at every position so that you could just plug and play, plug and play, plug and play. And that's what the U S is working toward. Michael asked, I was reading an article in another publication about Atlanta United's makeover during the summer transfer window, and I came across this sentence and was a bit confused. Atlanta has shown flashes of good soccer since Pineda was hired, but generally speaking, Atlanta United's previous inconsistency was the result of naivete on match days. This wasn't your article, but I was wondering what you thought about the statement might mean and if you agree. I I don't have any idea what it means. I don't know if it means that they're saying Pineda was a bad coach or the coaches before Pineda were bad game day coaches. Uh, there's no attribution to it. Uh, I don't I don't know what it means. And I don't have a subscription to The Athletic, so I can't go and read it. Uh, that's the publication. It felt like a bit of a non sequitur in the article, and I don't understand why the team might have been so naive earlier in the year and what about the summer transfer window would have corrected that. Maybe they're talking about uh, they signed more experienced players instead of having to use kids. And I've answered your question about Juan Jose Parata and Abram. And he continues, thanks always for your excellent work and best of luck this month as you undoubtedly get dizzy bouncing back and forth between the Braves and Atlanta United. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. On to the question of the week. It's two questions of the week, both from John in New Mexico, which I, who I think is a first-time asker, and I appreciate it, John. He starts off, I enjoy your work and hope you're enjoying your coffee. I am. Thank you. Something has to be done about PRO, the professional referee organization. It feels like they always come after Atlanta. And while that is not true, they do tend to get a lot wrong in favor of Atlanta's opponents. I sympathize with the difficulty that is doing that job, but that doesn't excuse them from inadequacy either. Is there anything that can be done? Now, I don't know if Atlanta, if this is singular to Atlanta, I'm sure every team could say they got screwed by the referees. The Philadelphia Union fans were uh, actively chanting the ref you suck chant a couple of times on Wednesday because they didn't like calls that were going against their team. So I think, you know, maybe you could argue some of these are a little more impactful for Atlanta United. On the whole, maybe it all washes out. I tend to think that at the end of the season, it all washes out. But is there anything that can be done? Well, PRO could invest in better education, uh, invest in these referees, be able to do these jobs uh, more as professionals, like Major League Baseball umpires, um, something like that. They could recruit referees from other leagues around the world to come live in America and and play. Um, There's all sorts of things that could be done. Second question. Do you feel that Don Garber and MLS are fumbling this opportunity with Lionel Messi? I feel as if they are missing the moment and not growing the league fast enough to keep even 50% of the fans that have come due to Messi. The whole thing feels like a money grab and less about growing the league. 
I, I don't know what exactly you're asking. I don't, I don't, and if you want to follow up with me, John, with more of your thoughts on what is it they're missing and what is it they're not doing to grow, um, I would love to hear them because I, I, I really, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what you're asking, but I don't know what you're asking. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about marketing, I mean, he's all Messi's all over Apple. He's all over everything. My Uber driver uh, taking me to the stadium on Wednesday was talking to me about Messi, that kind of thing. Um, now, if you're talking about him playing more, well, he's been hurt, so he can't play. And there's nothing MLS can do about that. It's not MLS's role to tell teams which players are playing and which players are not. It's up to the team and the players. But if you want to send some more to me about that, and I do want to follow up on a question that was asked, I think, um, after the Montreal match about Clement Giop possibly being the penalty kick goalkeeper when Atlanta United makes the playoffs. So I thought it was an interesting question because Jop faces a lot of penalty kicks in training. After training sessions, the players will stop and they'll they'll take penalty kicks, they'll take free kicks, they'll do shooting drills, and Jop is always in goal. So I did ask Pineda today if that's something he's thought about. Would he put Jop in as a designated penalty kick taker in a playoff situation? He he rattled off several examples of teams that have tried this where it's worked and some that it hasn't worked. He uh, talked about an example from his playing career. Basically, his answer was, I don't know. He said a lot just depends upon the game and the goalkeepers, and it's something that you know, I would think you'd have to talk to the goalkeepers about before because you don't want to tell Guzan after the end of regulation and two extra periods, now I'm taking you out. That just wouldn't work. It'd have to be a whole conversation before – but his short answer was, I don't know. Anyway, that wraps up this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. As always, follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Subscribe at AJC.com slash podcast. Use the call-in number uh, 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Again, I don't want to give Cody a chance to even eat a cheesesteak, sniff a cheesesteak, fill up that mailbox. Hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. <laughs> <laughs>